Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you so very much for being here tonight. I apologize that I can't be with you in person. I'm actually doing a gospel meeting in Ackerley, Texas this week. Hopefully, Lord willing, I'll be coming home tomorrow. But because we just started this new series called Resist, I didn't want to stop to interrupt the flow of this series. I wanted to continue it tonight, so we pre-recorded this lesson, and I appreciate so very much uh, Travis and, and the technology that we have uh, making it possible that, that we can continue this series even though I'm out of town. But as always, especially on Wednesday nights, I want to tell you thank you for being here. I know that you have a lot going on in your week, whether you're a parent and you've got kids and you've got school and you have work and, and all the things that you have going on in your life and your week, you made time uh, to be with your church family, to study scripture, whether you're watching online or you're here in the auditorium with us. Thank you so much for being part of our Bible study tonight. I know, again, as I said last week, I know that this subject about resisting Satan's lies seems like uh, one that, that might be uh, overwhelming or scary. I really believe that this study will be incredibly encouraging for us. And, and I also know that, that there might be a bit of it that is uh, maybe satisfying a little bit of our curiosity. Whenever I was doing youth ministry, I would ask teenagers, what do you want to study about? Or do you have any questions about the Bible? Inevitably, one of the, the most popular questions was, where did the devil come from? Where did Satan come from? And a lot of people were asking that question. And so I'm sure that, that many of you have questions like that about where did Satan come from? Where did evil come from? Where did the devil come from? We're not going to be able to satisfy our curiosity on that, that question to the fullest extent. But I, I do think it will be helpful for us to look at some things. But even before we jump into who is the devil and where did he come from, um, I think it's helpful to acknowledge the fact that many of us may have very different ideas about the devil. That there may be some people who seem to think that the devil is just a, a metaphor, that the devil is just a, a ancient fairy tale, a way of personifying evil. Others may, may even think of the devil as sort of a cop-out, that people make an excuse for their bad behavior. They say, no, 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 you're responsible for your behavior. Don't blame it on the devil. And other people may become overly obsessed with the devil. So I think that there's, there's a healthy way for us to interpret and understand what scripture says about the devil, that the devil is, is a, a person, is an individual, a spiritual being, a spiritual being who is not a myth, who's very much real. And, and while we need to be aware and alert to the devil's schemes and how he operates, we also don't want to give him more credit than he deserves or become overly obsessed with the devil. So I think that this will be helpful tonight to think through some things that scripture says about the devil and, and not to be overly speculative about who he is and how he operates, but to have a, a proper right understanding of our our adversarial role with the devil. So let's jump into some things that scripture says about uh, the devil. And I want to keep this really practical. Uh, first of all is he has a beginning and end. He is not God's equal. 
The devil is not eternal in the sense that God is eternal. The devil is created. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about why was he created? What was his original purpose? How was he created? What kind of being was he originally created to be? What role did he originally serve? We're not going to speculate about all of that. Both Christian and Jewish uh, theologians have for centuries speculated about a lot of that. And there's a lot of literature. There's a lot of good scholarship around those questions. But for our purposes, I think it's important for us to recognize that he is a created being. He is not He is not eternal like God. He is not uh, God's equal. He has a beginning and he will have an end. Uh, I think it's important for us to recognize that he is the prince of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That there are many demonic spirits in the heavenly places. And that Satan, the devil, is the chief or the prince. That, That word prince is used quite often in reference to the devil. That he is the prince, the commander, the chief of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when we say in the heavenly places, we mean the unseen places, the unseen realm, where he, again, is the chief of those spiritual forces of evil, specifically. Uh, Third, he is in rebellion to God's rule. He is a murderer. He is a liar. In fact, the word Satan is is not really a a name so much as it is a, a title. Satan means an accuser or an adversary. So Satan is an adversary both to humanity and to God. He has taken on an adversarial role to God and to the forces of good and righteousness and to humanity. So Satan is an adversary who is in rebellion to God's rule. This might be a little bit speculative, but I think it's safe to say that the earth likely fell under the devil's dominion or Satan's dominion when its human caretakers joined his rebellion against God. So it seems that Satan, the devil, the the serpent, the, the ancient serpent, that his rebellion predates the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, and that this is likely when the earth fell under his dominion and I say that it fell under his dominion because passages like 1 John uh, chapter 5 and verse 19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the world likely fell under his rule and reign under his dominion when humanity, who were supposed to be the, the caretakers of the earth, joined in rebellion against God. They believed the lie of the serpent. And because they believed the lie of the serpent, they came into rebellion against God and the whole world fell under the curse and and was subject to death and decay and corruption. And this is the the realm of, of the evil one. And again, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He has a, a claim on all of this because it has been touched by sin and rebellion and death. Uh, next, he is responsible for much pain and suffering in the world. There's much we could say about that. 
you could almost say that he's responsible for all pain and suffering in the world, but that might imply that, that every bad thing that happens is directly caused by the devil. I think we got to be really careful here. I don't think we should say, you know, every time we fall down and scrape our knee, every time we have a bad day, every time we lose our job, every time something bad or painful happens to us, this was because the devil did this. The devil's really working on me. We'll say things like that all the time, won't we? We'll say that the devil did this or the devil did that or the devil's really working on me or the devil's doing this, that, or the other. I think it is safe to say that that all of the pain and the suffering is maybe not directly tied to, but indirectly tied to the work of Satan. The the reason that all of this pain and evil and, and death and sin exists in the world is because humanity believed the lie of the serpent. And when we believed the lie of the serpent and we began to rebel against God's rule and reign, that's that was the beginning of all of this pain and suffering. So while we, we certainly don't need to say that every time we, we get hurt, every time something bad happens, because sometimes when something bad happens, it's because I was dumb. I, I did something dumb. I did something foolish. I did something I shouldn't have done. And, and I can't say, well, Satan caused that to happen directly. But we could say that indirectly, Satan has caused so much pain and suffering in the world. We could say this, Jesus appeared to destroy his works. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus appeared to destroy his works. Again, because we are, are guilty, because we've sinned, because we've rebelled against God, we have come under Satan's reign. We've come under his rule. But Satan only has a claim on us so long as we are guilty. And if we're guilty, if we've sinned, if we have rebelled against God, then Satan has a claim on us. Death has a claim on us. But Jesus destroys Satan's work. He destroys the devil's work by atoning for our sins. And when we're forgiven, when we're released from our debt, when we're no longer guilty, when we're cleansed, then we are set free from Satan's rule and he, he no longer has a claim on us. And so in the end, Jesus will destroy all of Satan's work. Now that, that hasn't yet been accomplished. Satan has been defeated in one sense. He has been bound in one sense. But there's also a sense in which he hasn't yet been destroyed. His destruction is coming. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But but Jesus appeared for this purpose, to destroy his works, to destroy the devil's work. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41 says that he is destined to be thrown into the eternal fire. The, the eternal fire was created for the devil and his angels. And he will be cast into this eternal fire along with all those who belong to him, all those who still continue in that rebellion, and all those who are in rebellion to God. In fact, everything that is in rebellion to God, sin itself, death itself will be cast into the lake of fire. The devil and his angels are destined to be thrown into the eternal fire along with all those who continue in his rebellion. Finally, Until then, until he is thrown into the eternal fire, he is our chief 
adversary. Again, that's what the word Satan means or the devil means, is that, that he is our accuser or our adversary. Prowling around, Peter says, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So again, the devil is one of our enemies. And in this class, we're talking about how as, as followers of Jesus, as God's people, we have three primary enemies. We have the devil, we have our own flesh, our own weakness, our own propensity to sin, and the world. And so the devil is our chief adversary, and he is actively prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Just as a reminder of what we talked about last week, though, as we read passages like this, we get afraid and nervous, overwhelmed, anxious, and we, and we think about how, how can I go up against Satan? How can I deal with this? But we're reminded of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, that we have this armor of God that we can put on so that you are able to stand against his schemes. You have to be aware of his schemes. You have to acknowledge his schemes. You, you have to intentionally resist his schemes. But you also have to recognize that God gives his people the power and the strength and the, the might, the armor, the equipment to stand against the devil's schemes. But that's our next question. What are his schemes? How does Satan operate? How, how is it that he tries to devour us? In what way does he devour us? What, what is the devil's primary tactic for destroying people? What is the devil's primary tactic for destroying whole groups of people or individual people? If we're going to resist him, if we are going to struggle against him, wrestle against him, if we are going to stand strong against his schemes, we have to know what are his schemes. How does the devil operate? And he operates in one primary way. I want us to listen to the words of Jesus, and I think it will shed a lot of light on this. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 31. This is John chapter 8 and verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had, and notice this, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, especially in John's gospel account, you have sort of these fickle believers who kind of start to believe in Jesus, but who quickly fall away. And so even here, these are people that are beginning to believe Jesus. They're beginning to believe what he's saying about himself. But, it, but Jesus says to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You'll be my disciples if you, if you stay, if you remain, if you embrace my word, if you listen to my word, if you let my word take root in you if you're deeply rooted in my word. And notice what he says in verse 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I hear even movies, television, Hollywood quotes this line all the time. The truth will set you free. 
And typically what people mean by that when they say the truth will set you free is that if you tell the truth, it will set you free. That you are, you are sort of in bondage to a lie. If you told a lie or you're tempted to tell a lie or you're hiding or concealing the truth, they, they encourage you to confess it and tell the truth and the truth will set you free. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying telling the truth will set you free. He's saying knowing the truth will set you free. I mean, it's true that if you tell the truth, the truth will set you free. But again, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you know the truth, knowing the truth will set you free. That if you listen to the words of Jesus, if you abide in his words, the truth of the gospel the reality, we're going to come back to that word a lot in this series, the reality of who God is, the reality of who Jesus is, the reality of what Jesus is doing. If you know this truth, knowing this truth, abiding in this truth, embracing this truth, being rooted in this truth will set you free. That if you don't, the implication here, if you don't listen to this truth, if you don't know this truth, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what Jesus is doing, then you will remain in bondage. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, I've I've always found these words to be kind of comical, don't you? They said, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. And I, I want to stop and say, really? I mean, How about Egypt? Weren't you enslaved to Egypt? How about Assyria? Weren't you enslaved to Assyria? Babylon, weren't you enslaved to Babylon? Or the Greeks, weren't you enslaved to them? The Romans, right now, as you're saying this, aren't you sort of enslaved to the Romans? But they they have this, this sort of pride that says, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And Jesus isn't even talking about the Romans or the Greeks or the Assyrians or Babylonians or Egyptians. He's talking about sin. That if you sin, and and they all had, you have, I have, we have sinned. And if we sin, then we become enslaved to sin. Our minds, our, our hearts, our future, our bodies become enslaved to sin. We become enslaved to sin. And the end of sin, the end of that slavery is death. The wages of sin is death. That's where we are destined to spend eternity is death, is death, unless the Son sets us free. And the Son will set us free by giving us the truth. And if you know the truth, if you abide in his word, then you can be set free. But in order to be set free, you have to know the truth. You have to listen to the truth. You have to abide in the truth. Otherwise, you will remain enslaved to sin. Verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Jesus says, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 
I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So Jesus is saying, my father and your father are are not the same father. They said in verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And then they said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. It seems like they're probably taking a jab at Jesus saying that he was born of sexual immorality because there were probably rumors surrounding his birth, Mary, and whether or not she was married to Joseph and who the father was. And so they may be jabbing at Jesus and saying, God is our father. But look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. See everything that Jesus is saying? He's saying you are enslaved. Whether you want to admit it or not, you are enslaved. And that, that's a hard reality to, to kind of comprehend, isn't it? Jesus says the whole world is enslaved. Even the Jewish people are enslaved. Even the religious people are enslaved. Even the religious people who are beginning to believe in Jesus are enslaved. Whether you want to admit it or not, if you have sinned, you have become enslaved to sin. Your mind has become enslaved. You're enslaved by lies. But Jesus wants to tell you the truth. The truth about the gospel, the truth about who he is, and that truth will set you free. But as long as you remain enslaved to lies and unwilling to listen to truth, there's a time when you can't even bear to hear the truth. You can't even bear to hear his word because it's, it's starting to reveal the reality of your situation. And I think about it a lot like when, when I was a teenager and, and I would be asleep in my room in the dark and my mom would come in and she'd try to wake me up and she would flip on the light. And you know what that's like, right? When, when somebody turns on the light and it, it, it shines in your eyes and your eyes have been accustomed to the dark, it, it's an incredibly painful experience to have the light turned on when you're used to the darkness. And Jesus is the light coming into the world. He is the truth coming into the world. And truth and lies cannot coexist. And people who love lies, people who love darkness, people who love being deceived. And there, right there, just kind of sit with that for a second. Love being deceived. I've been there. Chances are you've been there. Maybe maybe you're there right now in your life. You love being deceived. We, we, we love a lie that makes us feel good about our situation. We love a lie that makes us feel good about our people. We love a lie that makes us feel good about our, our past or a lie that makes us feel good about our future or a lie that makes us feel good about our behavior because a lie a lot of times is a whole lot more palatable than the truth. 
that Jesus is coming bringing truth, but because they love the lie, because they, they love to be deceived, because they love the darkness, they're not willing to listen to, they can't bear the truth. That, that right there, if we are going to deal with Satan, if we're going to deal with the way Satan operates in our lives, then that's the question with which we have to wrestle. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth so much that you're willing to, to bear it when it is exposing things, when it is revealing things, even when that revealing is hard and hurts and is painful? Listen to verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Several incredibly important things there. If we're going to understand who the devil is, and how he operates in the world, and how he operates in our life against us as our adversary. Notice a few things. Jesus says that he is the father of lies. He is the father of lies. He's the originator of lies. You could almost say that all lies emanate from his original lie. That all of the lies that are being told, again, not directly by Satan, Satan isn't directly telling every lie that gets told, but every lie that gets told is an evolution of, it, it emanates from that original lie, the original lie of the serpent in the garden. And the devil is the father of these lies. Jesus says that lying is his, his native language. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar. That right there, if we're going to understand how the devil operates and how we resist him, if we're going to understand how we resist the devil, if we're going to understand how we fight against the devil, if we're going to understand how to, how to go to war with the devil, then we have to understand that the primary way that the devil operates is being a liar. The devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. Jesus says there is no truth in him. He is a liar. Listen to some of the other passages. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. See, that's how the devil operates. He leads our thoughts astray. He deceives Revelation 12 and verse 9 says that he is the deceiver of the whole world. The devil is the deceiver of the whole world. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. Jesus is the speaker and the bringer of truth. In fact, Jesus would say that he is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth and the devil is the liar, the father of lies. So, that right there. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what it is to, to fight against, to wrestle against, to resist the schemes and the working of Satan is to be people that love the truth, that love the truth, that hate lies. And, and Jesus says about the devil that he was a murderer from the beginning. 
See, the, the lies are a means to an end. And the end is murder. What, what is murder? Murder is, is killing, is spreading death. That's what the devil does. Everything, everyone that he can deceive into rebellion, everyone that he can deceive into rebelling against God's rule and reign becomes subject to death. He is a murderer. He spreads death and destruction. Jesus, when he's talking about how he's the good shepherd, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Do we, do we see the contrast there? When we talk about God, God is light and God is love and God is life. And the devil is a liar. He is a murderer. He is death. He is deceit. He is destruction. He is death. He is deceit, he is destruction. And the whole world has been touched by his deceit. And because it's been touched by his deceit, the whole world lies under the curse of death. Everything is dying. Everything is subject to death and decay because of the deceit of the devil. Here's how John Mark Comer puts it. I I love this quote. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. That's everything that Jesus has been saying, isn't it? This this is our battle. This is our struggle. Our struggle is to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. Again, this isn't about being paranoid about spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and it's not about superstition. It's about recognizing that all of our minds are held captive by lies, and those lies originate in the devil. The devil, a very real spiritual being, has told lies that hold our minds captive. But Jesus is the truth and gives us the truth that liberates our minds from these lies. And so the way that we fight against the devil is we see and believe and understand and spread the truth We have to be people of truth because lies take us captive. So we're going to continue talking about that idea as we go through this series, the idea of lies and how lies take us captive, how lies, they enslave our minds and how the truth of the gospel, how the truth of Jesus liberates our minds and and how our goal how our struggle is all about believing and embracing and teaching and spreading the truth, being people of truth who want the truth over lies, even when a lie would be easier, even when a lie would be more palatable, even if a lie is is what we want to believe. Because again, these lies, as we'll continue talking about, these lies, they play to our disordered desires. They play to our flesh. They're what we want to believe, but what we really need to believe is what is true. So as we wrap up tonight, and as you go from here, maybe you could visit 
with someone else here in the auditorium about this question, or maybe you can talk about it with your family as you go home. But I want to ask this question as we go tonight. Why are lies so destructive? Why are lies so destructive? And why should we be on guard against them? What is it about lies? What is it about lies in general that are so destructive? And why is it that we should be on guard against them? I just want us to meditate on that a little bit. Think about that. Why, why do lies enslave us? Why are they so toxic? Why? They, they may even seem very subtle. They may seem like a, a little white lie. What harm would it do? But why is it that they're so destructive? And why should we be on guard against them? Let's think about that. We'll close right now with a prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for this time we've had together tonight. And Father, we thank you for the truth, the truth that Jesus brings, the truth that sets us free. And Father, we pray that you help us to abide in the word of Jesus. Help us, Father, to resist the lies of, of the devil, to resist the lies of Satan, to walk in the truth, to love the truth, to speak the truth, to listen to the truth, even when the truth is, is hard to bear, even when the truth is difficult, even when the truth doesn't appeal to our flesh. Father, help us to be people who love the truth because we know that the truth sets us free. And we know that lies enslave us. Father, help us to resist those lies, to recognize those lies when we see them and hear them. Father, thank you for Jesus who sets us free. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. We pray that you help us today and every day to fix our eyes on Jesus and to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. We pray these things in Jesus' name.